welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today, we got a Q&A. Yeah, these are new questions. Where are these questions coming from? Uh, I think majority Instagram. Instagram? Yep. Cool, yep. cool. A lot of good feedback on the, uh, whatever we called it. The issues with the coaching industry one. Um, Push. It's about to fall off. Oh, this thing. Yep. There you go. There you go. Um, about the the coaching, the issues in the coaching industry one. I had a ton of people messaging me and shit. They were oh, like, this needs to be said. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to keep trying to. Post some reels about that too. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm just like, I was talking to somebody about it after the fact. And it was like, I'm just at a point where I'm just going to call out the bullshit and shine, try to shine light on the reel, you know? Yeah. There's just so much fake and. Like I'm even seeing like more and more people becoming business coaches in the coaching space. And it's, it's funny because it's like, it's almost like they, they figure out some weird tactic to generate a bunch of leads. They get a bunch of leads and then they become a business coach teaching people how to get a bunch of leads. But I'm like, did you even coach those people long enough to get them results or retain them? Cause you never see any before and afters. You never see any good transformation stuff. You never see any education come out from them on training or nutrition like it literally goes from like i quit my job and became a, a coach now i'm teaching coaches how to be a coach and yeah. it's all within like a year and you're <laughs> like what, what something's wrong here um that doesn't make sense yeah it doesn't make any sense it's very very weird and it's uh i think it's just i don't know it's time that it gets called out more and more so um well people appreciated it so i might as well yeah it was good i'm gonna keep calling it out so if you guys have questions on that stuff bring them our way because we're happy to <laughs> dive into that kind of shit now um, but we have, uh, some really good questions today on actual training and nutrition Oh because yeah. I'm an actual coach. So we'll get, we'll get into that. All right, cool. First one today is going to come from Courtney Lynn RN says, do you have any strategies or tips for cutting when your body adapts quickly to de- decrease, de- 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 to decrease calories <clears throat> today, junior. Um, so this is just really I think there's a lot of people who go into a diet and they don't create a big enough deficit. And so they kind of just drag themselves along and they don't feel like they're getting a lot of results. So like her question of like, what do you, essentially she's saying, right, what do you do when the diet's not working, right? Mm -hmm. Because she plateaued. Didn't say. Strategy or tip for cutting when your body adapts quickly. Okay, so she adapted quickly, yeah. So the way I look at this is, and a lot of people forget that Maintenance is not like a set number. It is a moving target. And what I mean by that is if your maintenance calories is 2150, 2150 calories, there's no way your maintenance calories is 2150 calories every single day, right? It's just not. And that's going to be based on how much did you sleep? How much stress do you have? What was your training like? How many steps did you take that day? What did you eat that day? Is it a high carb, low carb day? Are you even cycling those things? How are your hormones doing? Did you lose weight? Because if you lose weight, you're a lighter person and your maintenance lowers like because you don't have as much mass to move around day to day. So because of this, your maintenance is always a moving target and you kind of have this range. And when you have this range, you need to create a calorie deficit that is going to get you out of that range to create meaningful progress. So if your body adapts too quickly, it's probably because you either A, didn't create a big enough deficit to get out of that range or B, you just barely inched by that range. And now it's such a small deficit that your body easily adapts by just 
barely shifting over that maintenance range, and now you're not losing weight anymore after you lost a half a pound maybe, right? So the key to not adapting too quickly is to make more abrupt changes. And this is also why it's important to periodize your diet so that you're not dieting all the time. And I always want to preface with, if somebody has a lot of weight to lose, it is okay to diet for a long period of time, right? So if you do have 30, 40, 50 pounds, you can spend this year dieting. I was going to say, what's a long time? Yeah. I mean, a long time, I, I think it's it, it, just it, a relative term. Yeah. Because here's the thing is if I have somebody who has 50 pounds to lose, we might be dieting all year, but we're not dieting 365 days straight. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, we're going to diet for eight weeks. We're going to take four weeks off or we're going three weeks on, two weeks off. So a shit, a nine week diet actually takes, what would that be? Uh, at least 12, if not 15 weeks, because you're taking these diet breaks, right? Yeah, um, I don't know what it would be. Point being is like every two to three weeks, you're taking another period of time that's yep. almost just as long diet breaking. It extends the diet. So, but you do that because you know, well, we're going to have to do this for a while. So we might as well take these breaks. It is going to lengthen it, but it's going to allow you to diet for a long period of time. But if somebody has 20 pounds or less, it's like, Hey, let's get after it for 12 weeks. Like let's go ham, go hard at it, commit. And we're going to create a meaningful deficit. We are going to implement more steps when it gets down in the nitty gritty. We might even bump up cardio, but we're going to spend 12 weeks just getting after it. And when we quote unquote, get after it, we are able, why do I do that so much now? Um, I'm a huge air quote guy, apparently. <laughs> uh, I just always think of Dr. Evil now. Yeah. So when we, when we diet more aggressively, we're taking such a big chunk out of our calories that your body can't adapt quickly to it. Eventually, your body's going to adapt. That's part of dieting. It's part of metabolic adaptation. And there was a meta-analysis done on a bunch of just fat loss research. And they actually correlate, like there's literally a link between the most successful dieters and the highest rates of metabolic adaptation. So metabolic adaptation is actually a signal or a sign that you are successfully dieting, which makes sense because metabolic adaptation occurs when you A, cut calories in a big enough manner to actually create meaningful results, and B, you lose weight. So if you're successful with dieting and successful with creating a calorie deficit to successfully lose weight, you're going to have a lot of metabolic adaptation occurring. So metabolic adaptation is not something to be afraid of. It's actually like a fucking trophy. It's yeah. like, hey, you did the job. You did the work. You had metabolic adaptation occurred. Because we can even look at it like this, and this is what they kind of looked at in the study. Long-term, people had metabolic adaptation long after their diet was done. Most people hear that and they're like, fuck, I'm just screwing myself over long term. It's like, no, because if you lost 50 pounds and metabolic adaptation occurred, mm. you're going to be lighter for the rest of your life. And that means you're going to you know, need less calories to survive because you're a lighter human being. So if you successfully dieted and sustained that 50 pound weight loss, you will have metabolic adaptation technically forever. You know, unless you put on 50 pounds of muscle. It'd just be more severe or not. I mean, it, the severity of it depends on how much weight you lose, right? And obviously, there's, there's situations where metabolic adaptation, uh, the severity of it is due to uh, the speed at which you diet, which can be a negative thing. Because if you just diet too aggressively or too fast, then obviously, you can have some downsides of it. But most of the downsides that are correlated to calorie intake will be uh, fixed once you bring your calories back up a little bit or you get out of the diet. So, for example, when we're losing a lot of weight or dieting really hard, if there's um, a, a significant drop in NEAT, if there's a significant drop in thyroid function, testosterone, those kind of things, they will repair themselves over time. But metabolic adaptation from how heavy you are is not going to repair itself, but it nor should it. And that's why, again, metabolic adaptation is correlated with successful dieting because the 
the only way to lose weight is to create a big enough deficit to lose weight. But if you create a big enough deficit, you're going to see some hormonal shifts temporarily. That's a big sign of metabolic adaptation. And if you lose weight successfully, your maintenance calories is going to lower, which is another sign of metabolic adaptation occurring. So it's not a bad thing. But the point is, is if, if your body's adapting too quick, you're, you're just not making a big enough drop in calories, most likely. Or when you made that big drop, you're not accounting for all the things that can be caused or directly influenced by metabolic adaptation, mainly steps, right? So, and, and this is what we talked about in the, the video this week on YouTube. Like, if I go into a diet and my step count is at 10K, I probably should bump it right up to 11 or 12K as soon as I jump into a deficit, you know, at least maintain 10K. But ideally, you'd probably bump it up because when I drop my calories enough to lose weight, I'm going to blink less, talk less, uh, move less, stand less, uh, fidget less. I'm going to get the mail less. Like everything I do is going to be lessened because my body's trying to preserve energy. Therefore, I need to kick up my steps to try to compensate for that or make up for that. So at least maintain your step count, but you can also bump it up. Um, so my, my suggestion is pretty simple. Either A, bump up calorie or drop calories further and make a bigger jump, drop in calories to lose weight faster. Cause you just didn't get yourself out of that, that, moving target zone or that moving maintenance range fast enough or big enough, uh, far enough, or you need to be aware of the other things that are going to be compensated with, or like your body's compensating by lowering your activity elsewhere because you're dropping calories. Um, and this even happens with cardio. People will start dropping calories and they add cardio, but they're not tracking steps at all. And they're like, well, I'm doing cardio and dieting. Okay. But once you added cardio, your step count drops significantly as a compensatory mechanism of your metabolism therefore it kind of equaled itself out you were stepping a bunch but now you added cardio and you're stepping little and the net calorie burn is the exact same so if you're going to add cardio you have to also track your your steps outside of that cardio to make sure that they're they're staying put so if you're doing 10k steps a day and you're like i'm going to add 30 minutes of cardio three times a week either plan on adding extra steps those days or don't track your steps during that cardio and that way you can avoid that Right. It's the same reason why when I come out here to train, I yeah. put my step counter on the thing. I don't wear it when I'm training. I don't wear it when I'm riding the bike because I don't want it to count that stuff. I'm targeting 11,000 steps on top of the added cardio I'm doing. Um, so a few things there. I think, I think ultimately it's just you're probably stuck in that maintenance zone. Yeah. For sure. All right, cool. That was good. We will go on to the next one. It comes from Wooden Spoons. It says, how big of a surplus do you need to be in to gain muscle? I'm really aiming for a lean bulk. So it, it it really depends on where your weak link is, right? So for example, if somebody comes to me and they are a newbie and I know that they can gain a lot. I mean, this is a catch-22 though because I was going to say, if somebody comes to me as a newbie and their training is dialed in, supplements are dialed in, sleep is dialed everything's dialed in, I might be like, fuck it, let's add a lot of calories because you're in that that zone where you can gain a lot of muscle. Let's pour the calories in. But the other side of me is like, well, you're going to build a ton of muscle regardless. So let's not get you fat in the process. You just add a little bit of calories. So I think number one, I don't like adding any, I don't like putting anybody into a surplus unless I have all of my check boxes checked off. And what I mean by that is if you're at maintenance and we optimize things that aren't optimized, you will build muscle. You don't need to go into surplus. And I would rather see how much we can gain without going into surplus before we go into a surplus. Um, or 
if we're going to, you just do a very tiny surplus, which I'll get to like what percentage of calories increase I would get to in a sec. But if somebody's at maintenance and they come to me and they want to build muscle and their training is garbage or like somebody comes in, they're like, Hey, I want to build muscle. Um, I'm sleeping six hours a night and I train three days a week. How many extra calories should I eat? I'm going to say, well, you should sleep seven hours a night and you should train five days a week. I'm not going to add any calories because you can eat more food, but food isn't anabolic. And I mean, in a way it is because it helps you recover. And that combination of food and training stress is an anabolic process, but it doesn't matter how much protein or carbs, like you can eat 20 chicken bowls with chicken rice bowls a a day. It's not going to build muscle when you eat. That's just literally supplying your body with calories, energy, nutrients, things that are going to allow you to rebuild and repair from the stress that you apply to it in the gym. But if you're not applying enough stress in the gym, you're not going to grow. That's why volume is the biggest predicator of muscle growth. So if you're trying to gain size or muscle tissue and you're only training a few days a week, that's where you got to start. And even for somebody, I've seen people train five, six days a week, but their training is just kind of shitty for lack of better terms. Yeah. I mean, potentially. So it could look like it's high volume on paper, right? I've even had people do my programming and on paper, I'm like, man, you're doing everything golden. But when I start talking to them about their effort or like, I've even had clients who I'm like, man, how are you not building muscle? And I'm like, film, I want you to film one, your last set of every exercise on your next session. And I can see they have five reps in the tank. Like I can see they're just not pushing themselves hard enough. So if we look at it from that perspective, their volume from a sets and reps perspective is high enough, but their intensity in the gym is so low that their volumes from a tonnage. So total work done is still pretty low because they're just not lifting heavy enough. So First and foremost, you need to be doing enough volume and have enough effort in the gym. You got to be training enough days a week. You don't need to train six days a week to build muscle. You can get away with four or five as well, Um, especially if you're doing three right now. I don't recommend going from three to six, but if you're not training hard enough, that volume is not going to be the most productive volume that you could be having in the gym, and that's the big point here. So before we add calories into any diet, we need to make sure that we are stimulating hypertrophy through hard effort and stimulative training applying a lot of stress in the gym, plain and simple. Um, then we got to make sure that we're, we're doing what we need to do with nutrition, supplementation, and um, uh, sleep in order to recover properly. So with that being said, sleep, you should probably be getting seven hours, eight hours a night. If you, if you have six hours some nights, that's fine. But like on average at the end of the week, like for my clients, we track every, every day how many hours they get. And at the end of the week, I'm just looking for a seven, seven and a half or eight. On average, you're getting seven to eight hours of sleep. Um, then supplements, you don't need a ton, but should be taking creatine. If you're not taking creatine monohydrate, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're wasting your time. No, I'm just fine. You're still going to get gains, but like creatine is just one of those things where it's the cheapest supplement you can, it's literally one of the cheapest supplements you can buy, you know, which is funny because the, I would think the, if it's such a good supplement and I know. it's high demand. Well, it's, I would, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to bet that it, the price is going to go up soon. Because, like everything else yep. on the fucking planet right now, um, there's actually like a, a inflation. Uh, no, I mean, I guess I don't know if that's what you would call it, but there's like it's gonna be hard for supplement companies to get their hands on creatine very mm. soon. I've I've heard this from straight from the source. But the good thing about First Form is they make all their own shit and it's all FDA approved and everything, so uh, they won't have any problems. But point being is creatine monohydrate is very cheap. Fish oil is relatively cheap. Um, vitamin D is extremely cheap. 
those are probably the three most important supplements for health. <laughs> like that's what's really funny. Uh, and people are spending a ton of money on random things that like barely do anything. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, uh, if you're not taking creatine, you should. You can head over to firstform.com slash tailored coaching method. Um, their creatine is great. It's like 100 servings and it's not expensive. That lasts you over three months. So it's highly recommend that you, you get that. And their bottle is very large. So it's, it's a really good price for uh, how much quantity you get. But creatine monohydrate is the most proven supplement. It's going to help you build muscle. It's going to help you recover. It's going to help you hydrate the muscles. Um, but for supplements, that's like the main thing I would say. If you have joint issues, there's some things you can take for joint issues that are going to help. Um, obviously, the next thing I would say is a good pre-workout, but not even because of the caffeine. Caffeine is going to sh- uh, improve your ability to perform in the gym. That's a fact. However, the main things I think are, are really useful inside of a pre-workout that are going to help body composition and muscle growth are going to be citrulline malate, betaine, beta alanine. Um, and those are the main three. There's a couple other that that are arguably worth it. But if you're taking creatine and then the staple pre-workout supplements, um, you're, you're pretty much good. Um, uh, first form has a really, really good pre-workout as well. It has all the staples and then a just good amount of creatine. Um, and that's going to help you with your pump, the blood flow, the recovery, uh, endurance throughout sets. Uh, betaine has been shown to help build muscle and burn fat. Very, very small degree. Like it's not like this wonder supplement, but it is definitely worth adding. It's, it's extracted from beets and a lot of people have heard how important beetroot is. Um, but Highly recommend uh, a good pre-workout and creatine for supplementation, getting enough sleep. And then for, for nutrition, before you jump into a surplus, just to make sure that your stimulative training is getting recovered from on this page before we go into how much of a surplus I would even apply or when I would do that, the first step is making sure your macros are in order. So getting you know at least 0.8 grams per pound, but ideally a gram per pound makes the math way easier. And if you're trying to build muscle, I got to imagine you're not overweight. Most people aren't in a place where they're trying to put on a lot of muscle if they have a lot of fat to lose. So therefore, you can just take your body weight and times it by one. If you want to get a little bit above that, like 1.1, 1.2, you can. There's no added benefit to it outside of if you just enjoy eating protein. Um, I typically eat more than my body weight just because I enjoy eating protein. Um, what, was it, what are you at, like 1.1, 1.2? Um, I think 1.1. I'm, I eat 200 grams a day. Okay. So I weighed in. I mean, I'm fucking losing yeah. weight by the day, but... Went in at 166. You're like, Jesus, 1.6 yeah. now. Dude, it was hard to get tattooed. The stencil wouldn't fit. He had to redo the whole. So like when they make a stencil for your oh. tattoo for my line on my back, it was to fit my body. Yeah. And But like he was like, dude, your waist is in. Like your lat is like more defined. So it like wraps around weird. So like now it's going on to my side like it wasn't before. <laughs> so once I bulk, it'll like just be on my back. Again. Yeah. But it's crazy. Um, so I'm at about 1.2. I gotcha. Um, and it, that's a, that's more important during a cut because if you have a little bit extra protein, you're more likely to maintain muscle tissue. Um, there has been some research that shows a, a little bit higher than normal protein. So going above one gram per pound might be beneficial for maintaining muscle while in a deficit because being in a deficit is catabolic. You're not going to lose muscle tissue if you're eating in a surplus, even if you don't get a gram per pound of protein. But if you're in a deficit, you're more likely to lose muscle tissue because you're in a calorie deficit. So having extra protein is good. And you're hungry in a deficit, which means protein is really filling. So it's a good idea. It's also another reason why if you if you go into a surplus for gaining, you might not want to have too much protein because it's so uh, satiating. You're going to be more full and it's going to be harder to get enough carbs, which yeah. is going to be the thing that you want more of when, when you're gaining. 
Um, but nonetheless, like you're at maintenance, your training is more stimulative. You're getting the supplements in, you have about a gram per pound. I would say like for women, 0.4 to 0.5 grams per pound of, uh, total body weight in fats for men, 0.3 to 0.4, they don't need as much. Um, in my experience, there's no research to prove the difference, but I've just noticed that. Um, and women are typically lighter when we're going through this. So your, your diet is going to be lower in fat and then the rest goes carbs. And we want to just build those carbs as we go into a surplus. But we start there, dial in your macros, supplementation, sleep, make sure your training is actually stimulative. Cause if you start adding calories into a surplus and your training is just not ideal for muscle growth, you are just going to gain fat, plain and simple. If we have all this, our ducks in a row there, the next step would be going to surplus. I like a three to 5% surplus, which is not that many calories. I mean, if we do the math on, let's say like, just for easy math, your, your maintenance is 2000, um, 5% of that, which is on the higher end is hundred calories. Yeah. So that's not much, you know, add hundred calories and see what happens. But you gotta remember if you're at maintenance and you add hundred calories, you're going hundred calories into a surplus. That's adding 25 grams of carbs. So you add 25 grams of carbs, see what happens. Wait for a week. Uh, yeah. Wait for a week, maybe two. Um, and this is where like, I think the highest, I, I would actually, I would take that back. I think you can go anywhere from three to f- 10%. The initial jump in calories should probably be on the higher end. And then adjustments along the way are like three to 5%. So, and this is for natural lifters who want to stay lean. So like, this is where the next part of this is really just what is your preference? So for some people I've worked with guys that they're like, dude, I am tired of being skinny. I just want to put on size. I'm just ready to go. Like, and they are quote unquote hard gainers. I'm not going to fuck around with a 3% surplus. I'm like, cool, let's go 10, 15%. Bump your calories up, get you gaining weight. Usually the people that are quote unquote hard gainers have a very adaptive metabolism. So what happens is I bump their calories up 15% and you expect to see a faster weight progression, but their step count goes up. They're talking more, moving more, they're training harder. So they end up burning way more calories with that. So that 10% is more like a 5% surplus anyway. And it works to their advantage. But that initial bump wants to be a little bit bigger. And then from there, you know, as you plateau with weight gain and you should be targeting a slow weight gain, I don't like doing more than, I mean, for anybody who's not a newbie, I don't like going more than a half a pound a week. Uh, and for women, like a quarter pound a week is fine too. That's one pound a month. Yep. Very slow. But if you're trying to do this the lean way, like you said, lean bulk, you, you want to go pretty damn slow. It's a snail's pace. So like you bump up that 10 to 15% on that initial surplus after everything else is in order. And then from there, you probably got to wait at least two, if not four weeks before you adjust again, because there's a lot of times in, in many coaches will vouch for this because it's more of an experience thing that you'll see. We'll adjust. You don't gain any weight for two weeks. And then all of a sudden you gain two pounds, you know, and it's like quick, or we'll see rapid. Like I remember last time I did bulk, I gained the first seven pounds, like in two months, like it was just quick. And then it was literally like half pound a month, maybe like just super that slow. In, that initial bump. Yeah. And part of it is filling up muscle glycogen, uh, water. Um, some of it's just kind of like shocking the body's a very fucking stupid term to use, but it's real. It's kind of what happens. I mean, you just see this initial bump and there's no explanation for it, but it, and it doesn't happen to everybody. Some people it's very slow. So, um, but yeah, uh, the main point I wanted to get across is there's a lot of things to get in order before you jump into a surplus if you want to do things right. So you got to be patient with muscle growth. But after you get those, your ducks in a row, then from there, you can go into like a very small surplus of like five to 10% and then bump up three to 5% as you go. And three to 5%, it's basically like a reverse diet. I mean, that's like literally for some people, 50 calories, 100 calories, maybe. It's a very small amount. But we got to remember, if you're on the edge of being in a surplus, 
you could add that 50 to 100 calories and go from not being in a surplus, being in that maintenance zone we were talking about with the last question, to being in a surplus. And if you're in a surplus and you have stimulative training, you don't need to be in a massive surplus because all you're trying to do is to have a little bit more fuel in order to recover more from more training. So if you add just a little bit of extra carbs and it allows you to recover from more volume, that's all you needed because it's the training that's going to create the growth. Totally. Not the, not the nutrition. You know, like things like you were talking earlier about when you enter that, that surplus, you don't want to be eating a ton of protein or like, you know, filling food because then you can't get as many calories up, you know, in a diet, you talk about eating like salads with a lot of lettuce and Mm -hmm. stuff to get not or minimal calories, but, but stay full. Yeah. What would you recommend for like in a surplus? getting a lot of food that doesn't make you full. Yeah. It's like the exact yeah. opposite. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is where like, and this is even where sometimes I will suggest cardio. It's fucking even pounds during the and bulk. pounds and pounds of lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> well, some that's pe- satiating. Yeah. yeah. So, so some people will say that you shouldn't ever do cardio during a bulk because you don't want to burn extra calories because you're trying to be in surplus. And I agree with that. The thing is, is that if you stimulate caloric expenditure through having a high step count or doing some cardio, even throwing some hit intervals or something at the end of your training session, it will stimulate hunger. So if you if it helps you eat more, mm. sometimes it's beneficial. Mm. So that's one thing I'll throw out there. But the thing I would recommend Can is Can you just, eat more than you burn? Yeah. That's the hard part. Yeah. Um, and usually you can because the truth is is cardio doesn't burn that many fucking calories. Like it's uh it's, a, it's on, like on a scale, yeah. It's pretty ridiculous. Like to and this is why we avoid tracking calories burned too much, because you could do an hour of cardio and it's like, oh, I earned Two Oreos. You know what I mean? It's like, that sucks. That extreme? Yeah. Well, and Oreos are very fucking calorie dense. Oh, yeah. Two Oreos might be like a cup and a half of rice, which is a good amount of food. But it it takes quite a bit. Um, And I want to say it was Mike Isertel who did a video on this. And they actually broke down like how many miles you had to run to earn like two apples or something like that. And it was just kind of fucking stupid. But uh, now, obviously, we got to know too that like when you eat an apple, those calories, it doesn't just 100% go to what you burned as fuel. Like there's nutrients, yeah. fiber, like there's things that are going on in there. But Interesting um, example. Yeah, but the point is you don't rely on cardio for that stuff. But with food, the hard part about this is that the foods that are most calorically dense and uh, the least filling are fats. And that's not what we want to fill our diet Ooh. with. So like, for example, if a lot of times back in the day, what they would say is like you just dump olive oil on everything you eat. And it's like, oh, that'll get your calories up. But guess what? Olive oil isn't getting stored in muscle glycogen for fuel or for repair. It's just fat. fat. <laughs> so it's like that's not a good strategy. Um, so, so you want to think of things that have uh, like very quick gastric emptying um, and bypass. So basically what goes through your digestive system quick and easy and has low fiber, low protein, low everything. It's just pure starch, white rice. That's why white rice is a staple with bodybuilders because it's filling in the moment but it doesn't last long. So you could eat a lot of rice in a, in a sitting and you feel very full, but in a couple hours you're hungry again. And it's because there's no fiber, so the digestion rate is super quick. That's gastric emptying. So it's like it empties through your gastric. I thought that would be high fiber. No. Yeah. Fast gastric emptying is like, so even like highly branched cyclic dextrin that I drink, that's why highly branched cyclic dextrin is typically the best intra-workout because it has a very quick gastric emptying. Gotcha. Very low stress on the digestive system. There's nothing but pure starchy carbs in it. So your body's going to take the white rice, store it as glycogen, get rid of the rest, right? Gotcha. Just quick. Um, there's no protein. There's no fiber. It's not going to be satiating. Um, so like things like you want to think of like white bagel, white pasta, white rice, things that are low fiber. Um, when in a diet, you want to have whole wheat bagel, whole wheat pasta, brown rice, because those things fill you up more. Yep. Um, 
for fruits, you want to think of the same thing. So like fruits that are very, uh, so for example, mangoes, um, dates, bananas, those are very high carb and they're not that filling. Whereas if you want to be on a diet, like I only eat berries right now because you can eat, uh, I could eat a fucking huge bowl of strawberries and barely have any calories, super filling. And the act of chewing so much fills you up. Whereas like a whole big bowl of strawberries is like one banana. You know what I mean? So like you swap things like that. Um, those are going to be the big switches because the truth is we still want to keep our fats relatively low. So we don't want to add a lot of fats in Avocado there. Avocado or... Yeah. And those are going to be the same. So like in my opinion, the best way, if we're talking about purely physique, like we go into a diet. So for example, going into this diet, my fats are at 55 grams. Um, they were a little bit higher before we started, but they're not going to get that much lower maybe in these last two weeks, like we're basically assessing every two days and making adjustments as needed. That'll probably be the thing to go because I want to preserve my carbs. But generally, carbs are the dial. So like as I diet, my carbs have gotten lower. And then when we go into a reverse and a bulk, my carbs will go up. My fats probably won't change. They'll probably stay at about 55, maybe go to 60 just because if I add more carbs that also have a little bit of fat in it, I need a little bit of room yep. for flexibility. But Carbs are that kind of dial, so we don't really need to play with uh, voluminous of uh, foods with anything but carbs. So protein, fats, they all kind of stay the same. For carbs, it's going to be switching to like white rice, white bagel, uh, like more dense fruit, things like that. Um, and vegetables, you would actually sometimes want more foods that are actually similar to – so like you might not do a big-ass salad, but for example, I might not fill – my diet up with like right now I have like a couple cups of roasted broccoli with dinner. And the reason is broccoli is super filling. But when I'm on a bulk and I'm trying to get a lot of starchy carbs and I'm like oh, not hungry and shit, I might do spinach cooked into more of my meals because I can get the same exact micronutrient and vitamin and mineral value level. Like there are obviously different micronutrients in it, but the same amount of level of micronutrients without it being so filling. You can eat a fucking bag of spinach. It's not going to fill you up. Yeah especially if you cook it down. Yep. Um, so sometimes you want to actually have like really low volume veggies and then you want to aim for uh, high volume carbs that have low fiber, low protein, essentially. Totally. So, Love it. All right, cool. We will move on to the next one. It will be from something I can't pronounce. K-Deg-A-Leg. K-Deg-A-Leg. It says, what's something about you that has always remained consistent or constant? Sorry. Either or. Constant. What do you consistent? think? What's something that, <laughs> what's something. What have you noticed about me that has stayed constant? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I was going to say your sarcasm or something. Assholeness. But um, <laughs> I would say your drive. That's probably, that's probably accurate too. I just say like your, your drive. When I say drive, like. I don't care what happens. It's still going to move on. Yeah. It's still going to move forward. That's I like dry. That. Yeah. Can, or, uh, I think that's dry. Yeah. It's not, it's like you can, you it's, can bundle that into a lot of different Well, things. it's not motivation because there's, there's times where motivation's low. Yeah. But the still going. Yeah. Ship still sails. Yeah. That's a good one. I actually, I would, I, I mean, obviously I agree with it. I think that I've had a, uh, I think I have a good perspective on, like, it, I mean, shit's got to move on no yeah. matter what. And I've always had that where it's like something bad happens and it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to even like, and this sounds kind of bad in some ways, but there's been times where it's like, I'm, I have to grieve in my own time, but I still know that things got to move on. That's life, yeah. you know, and I still got to plug away and take care of the people I got to take care of and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
I was going to say routine. I'm a huge routine person. Sure. So that's yeah. something that stayed constant that's with me. That's definitely an answer. Everything has to be in a routine and a rhythm. Yeah. Like, I've always been or that way. Or it won't move on. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I shouldn't say I've always been that way, but ever since I became a trainer, when I started training people, that's when I started, like, figuring out, like, my schedule with my clients and my school and then, routine, like, morning routine yeah. and all that stuff. And that's just, I mean, shit, since I was 18 when I yeah. started doing that, ever yeah. since I graduated high school. Before then, Zero routine. Um, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's what came to my mind. I think, I, like I think that's way better answer, but, um, I don't know how she's asking the question though. You what's something I mean? about you? What's something about you that has always remained constant? I mean, she could be routine saying is, routine's not an attribute. Drive is an attribute. You know what I mean? She could have been saying a habit, which yeah. would be routine. Yeah. Attribute would have been drive. Yeah. That's uh, hard to say. Drive. Yeah. I, I love know, it. But Yeah. All right, next one will be from Lift with Loswell. It says, what, what's something you wish you did as a new trainer but did not? I did everything right. Um, humbleness has not been one of those <laughs> <laughs> constant things. Don't explain. Um, you know what? Like part of me, like I think this is like a cop-out in a way, so I'm going to really try hard to figure out something. But part of me literally would say nothing not necessarily because I did everything right, but because I put myself in the right situation and I think everything happens for a reason. Like I think that anything I did wrong was on purpose. Like I think it was it was written that way for me to happen so that I learned a certain thing to later be able to do it differently. Yeah. I um, think you can still wish you did something different. Yeah, it's just, it's so hard. I even very... think about like, I even think about situations where I think I was starting to do things wrong or I was starting to go down the wrong path, but I had mentors in place that would correct me. So, so you didn't was, have to answer that like we are right now. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. can even think about one of the things that I did wrong for sure. And most trainers do this, but this is, again, this is something like you kind of have to do this wrong to understand that this is not the way to go is that, especially back then, because now we have so much resources for evidence-based coaching and how to be a coach and all that shit. Like you can really figure out how to do this right. But back then, we just had experience. So I would do something or I would see somebody do something. It would work. And then I'm like, oh, everybody needs to do this. So for example, when I first heard of intermittent fasting was back when it was the warrior diet or the renegade diet. Those are the two like popular ones. Um, renegade diet was 16 hours fasting, eight hour eating, which is like lean gains approach. Um, and the warrior diet was 20 hours fasting, four hours eating. You basically ate one meal a day was essentially. Some people, if they trained, they would have like a protein shake, train, and then one big ass meal. Um, but this is, dude, this is almost 10 years ago. Like this is before intermittent fasting was cool. Like this was a while ago and I did it and it worked fucking great. Part of the reason it worked great is because I trained late at night and then I would sleep in till probably like at least nine or 10, not at least, but like at least nine, probably between nine or 10. Then I would basically just wake up, have coffee, go to school. After school, I would go to the gym and intern. After interning, I would train and I would go home and sleep. So I didn't really have time to eat a bunch. Where was that meal? Exactly. When I went home at night. So I literally would go to school, not eat, go to intern, not eat. And then before training, would we would train at like 10 p.m. after I was done with everything, right? Usually I, we would start at like 9 because I would finish strength camp at 8.45 to 9 p.m. because it would start at 7.45. Um, and on the nights I didn't have strength camp, there was other small groups. So we literally wouldn't train until between 9 and 10. And we'd all train together. But right when I was done, I would have like a protein shake and a bar, right? So I'd have like a little bit of carb and a protein shake. We would work out and then I would get home at fucking 
11, 30, 12, midnight, and I would eat this massive fucking meal. Like, I mean, like, I would have, like, two chicken breasts, rice with veggies, then I'd have, like, a bowl of granola with protein shake as, like, the milk. Like, I would eat so much food, pass out, wake up and do it again. Yeah. And the reality is, is that I was probably in a calorie deficit and I was so new to lifting that I was getting newbie gains still. So I was building muscle because I was still within my first few years of lifting. And I went from doing stupid training at 18 or 19 year old to training under Luca with Hugh and a few other dudes who were, you know, had been training for 15 years already and were jacked. So when you throw a young kid into that environment, he grows quick. I put on a lot of muscle, but I probably wasn't eating enough. So I was losing fat because even if I was eating, let's say I was eating 2,000 calories, which would be a deficit back then. It's a deficit for me now. And back then I was burning more calories. I was on my feet all day. I was younger, training hard, gaining muscle rapidly. It's very hard to eat 2,000 calories of real food in a single meal. You know what I mean? A like, single meal, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like if I had a shake and a bar, let's say that that was 300 calories with a like 200-calorie bar and a 100-calorie shake, maybe 400 calories at most, I'd still have to eat fifteen to 1,700 calories in a meal. A chicken breast is going to be 250 calories. So two of those is 500 calories. Um, a thousand more calories. Yeah. If I had a bowl of white rice, like I would have these like microwavable ones from Safeway. I never forget it. Like I literally used to eat them like every day. But it was like 40, 50 grams of carbs. So again, a couple hundred calories. That's 700 calories at most. You know what I mean? And then I have a bowl of granola. And then like, like so I'm adding the calories and it's still putting me in a deficit. But I feel like I'm eating a fuck ton of food every night because I'm eating in one sitting. But point is, is I, I actually really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. But I, I lost, I got. That's, that's that psychotic side. Yeah. <laughs> I got, uh, I got pretty damn lean and jacked. And I was like, cool. All my clients need to do intermittent fasting now. And I put all of them on an intermittent fasting diet, wrote the protocols for them. And I think one person had success with it. And that one person was, uh, I think it was Flo, actually. Now that I think about it, he's one of my first clients. He trained late at night. So even on the days he wasn't doing training camp, he was training with me one-on-one at night. And he worked a long drive. Like, it just worked perfect for him, you know? But everybody else just fell off. They couldn't stick to it. The weekends fucked them up because they wanted to go out for breakfast. It just didn't work. So I realized, like, oh, shit, like, one size doesn't fit all, right? And that was even, still back then, I wasn't even thinking about calories and shit yet. But point is, is something I would say like, man, I wish I would have done different was not just put people on plans that worked for me, assuming that they're going to work for everybody. But at the same time, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have like started to kind of understand the process of individualization. You know what I mean? Because I was the only one diving into nutrition at that gym. So nobody was going to teach me individualization of nutrition. I had to freaking do it myself, you know? So that's where I'm like, I don't think there's anything I would change. Um, There's things I did wrong but I wouldn't change it necessarily. Totally. Um, Just learn from it. Yeah. Uh, I would have, uh, I would have done things a little bit differently during my, my physique show prep. I would have done, uh, that's not a trainer though. Yeah, it's not, it's, it, that was my own shit, you yeah. know? Um, but again, if I didn't like, so one, I would have done more abs is what I was going to say, but I also would have, properly reverse dieted. I didn't, I just got a show and just started eating again, like normal gained a fuck ton of weight after the show. But if I didn't do that, I actually wouldn't have started researching what happened to me after my show or like post-show weight gain. Post-show weight gain led to Lane Norton and metabolic damage because it was before adaptation was the word. And then that led me to him talking about reverse dieting and Dr. Joe Klimzinski and then Eric Helms, Muscle and Strength Pyramids. And that led me to going and getting certified in nutrition. And that led me to doing what I do today. 
So if I didn't gain a fuck ton of weight after my show, I would have never started digging into nutrition Yeah, because I would have stayed lean and been like, this is cool. Go back to being a trainer because that's all I really care about. I didn't give a shit about nutrition until I gained a bunch of weight after my show and got passionate about reverse dieting, which is crazy. That's 2012. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but again, that's a mistake I made in my own physique, but it put me down a rabbit hole of trying to be a nutrition coach. Yeah. And so, a better trainer. Yeah. Love it. All right, cool. Uh, we will go to, we got a couple more here. We got one from Ryan Jacoon. says, what helps you stay consistent in your content and education? Routine. <sighs> Routine's a big one. Drive. <laughs> um, I'm just passionate about this shit. Like, I don't think there's ever, like, it's one thing that's never gonna, like, get boring to me is learning and teaching. Like, there's just so much to learn. And it, there's so many resources for me to discover out there yeah. to learn more, you know? And if I can translate it in my own way to, to connect the dots for people so they can have the same epiphanies I've had and, and change their life the way I have, then it's going to be a win, you know? And I think honestly, the more and more I research this too, like the more and more passion I get about it, but the, the direct link to like intrinsic motivation, um, obviously health. So like long-term, like longevity of life, hormone health, all that stuff, but also the way your brain operates. Like there is literally neurotransmitters and brain waves that change when you exercise and when you are leaner. So not talking stage lean, but I'm talking as a normal person, like you are lean and healthy. There's also research with like preventing death from COVID, you know, from being obese, literally, you know, heart disease, all these things. So like the fact that I know for a fact people are going to live longer, be disease-free if they're fit. The fact that I know for a fact that people are going to be less likely to lean on antidepressants and anxiety medication and stress medication, shit like that, or drugs and alcohol to relieve the stress and pain and shit that they're going through, through exercise, man, and like the nutrition piece is like, there's a lot of people that will talk about how like nutrition plays a big role in that stuff. And I agree, but not nearly the role. Like, I don't care how many goji berries and kiwis you eat. It's not going to like get you out of depression. Like yeah. it don't work like that, but exercise does like in, in, I know technically I'm not supposed to like, to, like that's stepping out of side of my scope of practice, but it's not stepping out of my scope of practice to encourage people to go look that shit up Yeah, because there's a lot of research that proves for a fact that people can literally work themselves off some of that medication because it changes the way your brain works. Yep. It's the same reason why psychedelics help people get through PTSD and depression. I, I've never done, I mean, I have, but I haven't done psychedelics for that purpose. Yeah. Um, cause back then it wasn't, it was just to have a good time, but like, there's a lot of research now on MDMA and psilocybin and even like non-clinical uh, research, but like anecdotal research with like uh, ayahuasca and stuff like that, that people are literally changing their life and getting out of depression, all those things. So why yeah. is that? It's because the brain changes when you do those things. And those same neurons and brain waves that are firing and lighting up, it's the same exact thing that happens when you exercise. Just not nearly on the same level. Obviously, yeah. like the psychedelics do it like... <laughs> crazy you guys listening if that intrigues you at all uh immortal keys a really good book if you want to like dig into some of that stuff but there's like a few netflix documentaries that are really, really cool i think it was called the mind wasn't uh, it yeah it was like a 20 minute it's a series too it, it is a, it's called explained there it's the go. series yep. but the episode on psychedelics is called the mind yep. i think it's like 20 minutes but it's unbelievable they go to john hopkins and they're showing people that are like uh cancer patients that yep. like live in fear of death and they get over that. And they like, it's just wild. Um, but there's, you know, I think it's something to say, you know, so like the point is, is what keeps me going is like, 
if I can learn more and more and more and I can figure out better and better and better ways to translate this message to people so that they can be happier, live longer, be more successful, be less likely to get depressed or be more likely to get out of depression, why would I stop? Yeah. You know what I mean? And obviously I have a gift for it. And I think once I acknowledged that like, okay, I think, I think I'm supposed to do this shit. I'm like throttles down. Yeah. Like you just keep going, and you know? So don't let up. Yeah. Love it. It's an internal drive. One more. Cool. Yeah. We got one more here, guys. It is from the one and the only unknown. So unknown says, what are you currently excited for or about? Psychedelics. I'm just playing. I haven't committed yet. Still a little nervous. <laughs> um, what am I excited about? TCM future. It's a, I, I don't even, I don't want to say that cause I'm always excited about that. And it's such a broad thing, you know, that's true. Cause it's if a, we say that, I'm like, which aspect of it? Like yeah. there's just so many things that you can, you can generalize it. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely excited about that. There's just so many things that we foresee in the next five years to happen. Um, and the hardest part about that is patience on all of them and know, knowing which one comes first. But uh, one thing for sure is the Taylor Trainer app. I am very, very excited about that. Um, it is like, it's just, it, it's the current app on steroids. It's just like, it's going to be so, it's taken a while because we're working with developers and I have a meeting every other week going through all this shit with them. Um, but it is fucking dope and there's going to be some features in there that nobody else has in their apps and uh you guys are really gonna like it like i'm really 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 excited about that so that's something that's a project that's actively we're actively working on that i'm super stoked about um personally um i'm a very excited uh i mean it's fresh on my mind i'm very excited to be done with this back tattoo that's been fucking brutal um i'm excited about uh i'm Hopefully, starting soon, going to get Blake Lena swim lessons. I'm stoked for that because it's going to be something I can do with her. It's going to be fun. How are you going to be able to do it with her? Um, well, that's the hard. Like, so I'll I'll be the one taking her. Oh, like it's okay. just going to be something that I'm going to do. Okay, but um, I'm trying to find one that I can go in the water with her. Yeah, like you, like a lot of the ones that are local to us. It's like you got to stand on the side, but I'm like not want to go in there with her. Well, I help her take her to the pool. I know. I don't think Toss like, her in. <laughs> well, I know, but I'm saying I think swim lessons is for the teacher. Yeah. It's, it's so a teacher can teach them how to swim stuff. Um, but a lot of time it's just f like at this age, it's literally just floating. Yeah. I was talking to Travis Hunt about it. Totally. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the problem with it is sometimes there's like one instructor and like 10 kids in this little pool yeah. and he like, I mean, there was like a scary situation where he had to like run from the bleachers and jump and grab her. God damn. Yeah. Cause she just like, the lady was like, stop paying attention. The one kid just kind of pushed off and like floated in like, <laughs> Maybe don't have so many fucking kids yeah. or have two instructors. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm like, let me just get her some uh, floaty arm things and just, we'll just the, go uh, together. Yeah, just the, what do you call it, like the kiddie pool? No, just the mechanics. Yeah, yeah. Even just getting comfortable floating in water, yeah. honestly. Um, yeah. But, yeah, all those things. She's just growing and stuff like that. Um, but, man, I, I think the for, for coaching and biz, all that shit, like, man, the Taylor Trainer is the thing I'm most excited about. Um, I am excited about the ebook I'm working on. Um, it's an in-depth evidence-based guide to fat loss. Like, it's just the, it's not, like, just a nutrition manual. It's not just a training manual. It's literally, like, covering, like... The one-stop shop? Yes and no, like, because I still, I'm not going to rewrite the nutrition, uh, Taylor Nutrition Method ebook, because it's, I mean, it's amazing it's like i wrote it so saying it's amazing is kind of arrogant but it's really fucking good it's 87 yeah. pages really in depth i don't really feel like i need to re rewrite the training manuals because those training manuals we have on there are really good too but i wanted to put something together that's like okay like 
what happens during fat loss? How does fat loss happen? How do you literally burn off fat tissue? So people, we can teach people the science of fat loss and understanding not, not like, Oh, how do you calculate your macros? Like that's in the other one, but like, why is a deficit important? Like what does the research say of how long you can stay in a deficit before bad things start to happen or too much stress starts to happen? How does your training interfere with this? How do you recover from training during fat loss versus during maintenance? Like really just all the other shit that is involved and you need to understand when going through a fat loss phase, even like the, the mindset behind it, the adherence behind it, all those kind of things. Um, so it's really like the science behind fat loss. Um, I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, but uh, I'm excited about that because I haven't written a full ebook in a while, but that's been really cool. I've been putting a lot more blogs on the 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 page two and it's just having more time to create that content has been something i've been excited about totally so yeah um real quick guys uh obviously thank you for listening but make sure you go to the website and check out everything we have we've been launching a ton of youtube videos so you can go to youtube.com slash cody mcbroom one uh, cause we couldn't get Cody McBroom. Uh, that'll be in the show notes, but you can also head over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash guides for all of our free guides and webinars. If you want to learn from us for free and get a lot of in-depth education, head over to tailoredtrainerapp.com to get access to the app, to get workouts done for you every single day for only $29 a month. And then last but not least, make sure you go over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash online dash coaching. If you want to apply for coaching and get individualized help from us, as always, we appreciate you guys for listening and we'll catch you next time.